We're workplace caregiver advocates, and we provide practical and inspirational training for working caregivers through the companies they work for. I'm Debbie Howard, and I'm a caregiver advocate, a market researcher, and a yoga enthusiast. I'm Jonathan Brody. I'm a gerontologist who has worked in global healthcare for over 20 years, launching both pharmaceuticals and devices for adults, as well as being a caregiver for my family as well. I'm Tanya Krim, market researcher, gerontologist, caregiver long distance, because my parents are in London. I'm also a coffee and chocolate lover. Our mission at Caregiver Camp's podcast is to expand the boundaries of thinking around where and how companies can support their caregiving employees. We hope you enjoy this episode today. Hi, I'm Debbie Howard, your host for this episode of Caregiver Camp Podcast, and I'm here today with our guest, Francis West. Hi, Francis. Hi, how are you? Just a little bit about Francis before we get started. After spending over 30 years in various customer and market-facing executive positions at IBM, Francis founded Francis Westco, a global strategy advisory company working with public, private, nonprofit and startup companies to make inclusion a core business imperative to drive disruptive innovation. She was IBM's first chief accessibility officer and worked to establish its accessibility standards, shape government policies, and develop human-centric enterprise technology and solutions so that all people can reach their highest potential, regardless of their age or ability. Frances helps her clients to understand and operationalize inclusion as a business imperative from the very top of the organization, guiding them in formulating technology, innovation, and institutional practice strategy to achieve market expansion, brand differentiation, and talent acquisition. Francis is globally known as an authority on the topic of digital inclusion and is the author of Authentic Inclusion Drives Disruptive Innovation, a book selected by the Consumer Electronics Show and South by Southwest as the technology book of 2019. She has delivered keynotes at business events and policy forums hosted by the United Nations and the Department of Labor. She's led panel discussions at numerous global IT conferences, such as the Mobile World Congress and, of course, CES and South by Southwest. Francis, thank you again for joining us today. We're so happy to have you with us. Well, thank you, Debbie, for this opportunity to uh, have a chat on this uh, topic that both of us are very passionate about. Yes, I have so much enjoyed our conversations on Clubhouse. Let's dive right into your personal story. First, Francis, when did you become aware of the challenges with digital inclusion? I have to say that I'm an accidental um, digital accessibility person. I spent, like uh, you mentioned, most of my career in the, I will call a mainstream IBM sales and marketing organization. Uh, Never really thought about inclusion or digital inclusion much until I took the uh, job as the, the head of the IBM accessibility organization based in IBM Research. Uh, originally, it was more of a career move, uh, but once I got into it, it really uh, kind of uh, opened my, not just opened my eyes, but I think I tune in with my personal experience as an immigrant. I begin to think about inclusion has to be holistic It's not just about, you know, human connection, human relationship, but technology, because it underpins everything we do, has to be thought of as part of the inclusion dialogue. So 
I guess you can say that my my conscious awareness of a technology or accessibility um, inclusion actually came about when I uh, when I head up the organization, which is about actually uh, it's about 16, 17 years ago, and then I made that actually that job became a career. I always say it became a calling. So it has been a, a real life changing, uh, not just career changing, but life changing uh, choices I made. Well, I think it's so interesting that you actually experienced how it feels to be excluded when you started your career as an immigrant. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that? I was actually sharing this uh, with somebody else. You know, I guess in today's language, um, it would say that from the very beginning, I never thought about inclusion or exclusion. I, I Maybe I had a blinders on. I just thought of me as a human or a person wanting to do something, you know, in this case in IBM. And uh, so anytime when there was um, not so positive vibes coming my way, I would just think of it as, oh, this person probably doesn't understand me, doesn't know me, which is true because I started IBM career in Lexington, Kentucky. And then I cut my teeth and learned the, the, the kind of my first or second job in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So these are not exactly the cosmopolitan cities. At that time, I was like the only Asian, young Asian woman immigrant calling on customers and trying to sell them big mainframe computers in the you know, price range of millions, right? So I always just try to connect with my customers from a human to human perspective and not letting, I think maybe my consciousness was not letting any kind of negative thoughts or inclusion come into play. And as it turned out, I would say, you know, 40 years later, that's actually one piece of advice I will give is do bring your authentic self to, to everything you do. And uh, I was very determined to do what I need to do, which is to sell that computer. And, uh, and actually I leverage my background, my, my differences, you know, from my customers to sometimes to educate them on culture and to talk about topics that they may be interested in. Just like they talk to me about ice fishing and hunting. And so we related at a, a human level and that to me, that's why in my book, I actually talked about human first thinking and also acting to me is quite a foundational to everything that I have done so far, personally and professionally. That makes so much sense, Francis. And I love that human first thinking and acting. That's very, very nice. So this is a great segue into your telling us about your book, Authentic Inclusion Drives Disruptive Innovation. And you mentioned that you saw authentic inclusion as being something you could leverage early on in your career. Can you tell us about how you came to write your book and what that's all about? Like I mentioned, I actually did not think about inclusion in this big cultural context that, that we are all experiencing today. I was going about doing things on an individual level. And to some extent, I think this blinder approach maybe have helped me because I didn't, I didn't spend any effort or energy thinking about it except just a task at hand, so to speak. And then I was very lucky and very fortunate to have a company to join a company, you know, again, 40 some years ago uh, that recognizes my difference actually can be an asset. 
can can make a difference, right? I mean, I took it for granted until 40 years, 30 some years later, uh, when I retired from IBM in 2016, I don't know whether you remember the mid uh, 2010 to 2015, that was the kind of rise of the, uh, of the gender inclusion and GLBT. And there in 2015, there was the famous technology industry the Google walkout about the gender inequality in the tech industry. So overnight, there was a lot of inclusion consulting firms and company are talking about it, putting out statements and everything. And what I saw was that there was industry being born, but to me, the most important thing is, is are you just talking or are you doing? Like a company like IBM then, and nowadays you have leading company like Microsoft, really doing things. So I decided that I need to really, you know, use my personal and professional experience to hopefully open up the discussion to say, the key word actually here is not inclusion, but authentic inclusion. So the work authenticity to me means you gotta be real and genuine, which means you not just talk the talk, but you know, walk the talk. So that was the impetus of trying to have a, a voice because of my background, as you know, and being a female and being minority and being immigrant, being in tech industry. Uh, and now I'm aging, so I'm acquiring like vision disability, which come with age. So I kind of feel like I maybe have a little bit of uh, experience to, to speak to this topic a bit, you know, and then also introduce a different perspective, such as the human first thinking. Ah, and then your book came out, and I guess it was early 2019, because it was the technology book of 2019 at South by Southwest, which is held in March. So you actually came out well before the pandemic started. And it's really interesting to think about everything that was going on in our world since then. Um, And of course, to have the perspective to look at it now. Yeah, it was very interesting, like you mentioned. So 2019, I was invited to speak at a consumer electronics show and also South by Southwest. And so I was like, wow, this is great. This really uh, will give me a forum for the next two, three, four years, right, to talk about this. And, And then 2020 hit, and I just finished recording my TED Talk, actually, in Dallas, and the original thinking or plan was with TED Talk and with my book out, um, this will be a great opportunity to really expand the reach of my, my thinking. But then 2020, of course, changed everything, right? Uh, nobody's traveling, nobody's going out there, conference, and nobody's is doing much of that, at least the first six months. But on the other hand, it gave me a, a great opportunity to, to really come back in, in the sense that, you know, I wasn't busy traveling, but to think about how can I get the message out uh, effectively. And, um, and as it turned out, it was actually it's during that time, I got connected with like AARP, which you and I now met through their uh, clubhouse, right? Because AARP was just beginning to think about how this HTAC, you know, and uh, digital inclusion means to them. And also at the same time, the United Nations International Labor Organization, ILO, reached out to me to say, hey, can you help us to write a primer that a business can use to 
think about uh, digital and also to implement digital inclusion. So I was able to have quote unquote the quiet time to do thinking of uh, taking accessibility from the original more of a disability perspective into the aging, even though I've always believed actually from day one when I accepted the job, I believe that you know digital inclusion is a way to enable all of us to achieve our potential regardless age and ability. So it has always been in my mind that that these two things come in hand in hand. So I know we've talked a lot, Francis, you and I on Clubhouse about age tech and how important it is to incorporate different kinds of users in the research when we're developing those age tech products. Yeah, I think this is one of those things that you really, it's experiential, right? I mean, I think the technology has moved very much away from, or not away, just, you know, the natural evolution Back 40 years ago, when I was selling mainframe, it's really all about automating, you know, back office, right? How can we process like banks? How can they process more checks faster, right? Uh, and retail industry, how they can do inventory. It's all about goods, right? It's internet of things, right? It's about things. But now the technology is so advanced that it's all about personal experience. So from that standpoint, if you, if you care about, everybody talk about we need customer experience, we care about customer loyalty, employee loyalty, then, I mean, by definition, then you have to design with a human first thinking. And then if you think about human first, then you really have to ask that human. And a lot of time I give you example, like in Japan, for example, as you know, you work in the Japan society for many, many years, an expert in this area. The aging is a real big issue. It's not just a, uh, a social welfare issue. It's the, it's the survival of Japan as a country. I mean, this is fundamental, right? And then so the, therefore they have a lot of robots, you know, because they have a closed immigration policy. So they, they design robots to help with the aging seniors. But just think about it. If you're a 25-year-old or 30-year-old young male, your nuanced understanding of how that robot that will help, let's say elderly person to take a bath or to, to walk, it's just not going to be that nuanced. No, you have to have a person like myself, you know, who has walked the shoes in a, a aging body to relate the experience. So I think age tech, while it's great and it's exciting, just like, you know, we start with FinTech, health tech, but I think this is one, one area one cannot not have uh, people who, who with the aging uh, ability or, or I guess some people call it disability to be part of that from the get-go, right? From the, you mentioned research, actually it's very important to think about what do they really need, you know, versus what you think they need. We've had some very rich discussions in the clubhouse room called Rethinking Aging Products for 50 Plus. I know that with your product development, Francis, you've actually been very careful to include, for example, visually or hearing impaired people in your product development uh, so that the technology is accessible for them. Many of us don't think about that if we're sighted or we can hear. I mean, we may be dealing with other technology issues, but there's a whole level of design there. 
Yeah, I think a lot of times people still, that's why this technology is very interesting, right? People think about, oh, a, tech, a design for, let's say, people with disabilities for them, right? It's not for us. But I can tell you, if I take my glasses off, I'm, I'm functionally blind, right? I don't know about you, but how many times when you read newspaper, you have to take your glasses off and you can put it back on? Well, I certainly know that's an issue for me. Right. And how many of us use, you know, the font size enlargement on the iPhone or on Android? I mean, these are foundational digital accessibility design standards, right? I mean, it was designed for blind and low vision or so how many times you wish when you're driving, your eyes are on the road, so you're functionally blind to read your texts, email, right? So won't it be nice if, it, if the email just turned into uh, speech so you can listen to it? Again, these are foundational design for an implementation for uh, what I call the edge you know, people, right? People like a, a bell curve, they are like on the far extreme, but if you design it for them, chances are you're gonna be able to benefit everybody else because we are all situationally, in my mind, disabled. Like when I go to Japan, I don't speak Japanese. So I'm fun functionally blind, deaf and mute, right? So technology in this case can help me to navigate. So I think one has to really be open to not think about technology usage or design in a traditional sense that's very sequential that I design from one population, then I move on to the next and the next. It really should be just, if you're a human, you design for the human experience. That makes so much sense. And I think it really does go back to the very beginning of the design. When we're thinking about putting products together, and I love the idea of not designing for silos, but rather human-centered design. That's, that's just excellent, Francis. And as we start to move past the pandemic and towards whatever the new world is, what are some of your observations about the digital aging that we've experienced collectively? I think the pandemic actually is doing some good for, for those of us who are in the, in the, what I call the human first arena, right? I think pandemic taught us that we all are so dependent on technology. And that if we don't have technology, we won't be able to connect. Whether you're connecting for uh, work purpose, which of course is the first and foremost, but we also realize, you know, you can connect for social, right? For collaboration and also the embedded requirement or not requirement or a convenience and productivity one can have for digital inclusion, such as captioning for a Zoom call, whether it's real time or video captioning becomes secondary. And before pandemic, those are the things that you kind of have to really teach companies or, um, and especially people who are deaf, you know, or hard of hearing historically have a hard time convincing people to say, hey, you need to caption your video. But now everybody just feel like, oh yeah, it's a, it's a must do, you know, and why not? And because it offers so much advantage, not just for people who are deaf or hard of hearing, but if you're a second non-English speaking or native language speaker, having bimodal support of a hearing and also reading, it's just going to be that much better. So I think pandemic really accelerated the digital adoption and also digital awareness, both for companies and also for individuals. And this is again, a, 
it has to be a two-part play, right? I mean, or, or it has to be a, a partnership play in that individual has to be willing to, to upskill, you know, I guess using the popular term of the digital capabilities out there, but then the company or any institution, organization, whether you're a for-profit, nonprofit, enterprise, or startup needs to be aware that you need to make your virtual digital environment, a workplace or marketplace accessible. So I love that. And I also agree wholeheartedly that we have seen the acceleration of digital adoption and awareness during this prolonged pandemic. We saw that quite a bit in Japan as well. That was a dramatic change during COVID. And I think you also mentioned the dependency on technology. Like if we didn't know it before, we certainly know it now. And you're right. If you don't, if you don't get in the game and try to figure out how to use it, you're basically going to be left behind and you're going to miss out working opportunities and also social opportunities. Yeah, I think social is even bigger than than the working uh, for the first time people realize that, um, yeah, certainly work is important, but but basic human survival is dependent on social interaction. And that can be enabled or disabled if, by technology if you, if you don't think about it intentionally. Well, one of the things that we've touched on earlier, Francis, was the whole aging issue. And of course, with the digital uptake, we've also seen aging people get better at digital adoption. And we've seen a lot of that in the caregiving space as well. As you know, at corporate caregiver camps, we're focused on supporting employee caregivers. And we've seen that many caregivers, for example, of their aging loved ones, have learned how to use the technology to communicate better. An example is when their loved ones might be quarantined in assisted living, let's say, and perhaps uh, the caregiver couldn't visit the care receiver as they had before. So we've definitely seen some uptake there. But I'm interested to hear what you might be hearing from companies these days about the special segment of the workforce 30% of every workforce who are caring for aging loved ones. So I'm not talking about those who are parent caregivers, unless they're sandwich caregivers caring for a young child and an aging loved one. We're focusing more on the aging loved one segment as an employee population. Are you hearing much on that, Francis? Because, you know, that's a big area that I'm interested in, obviously. And I think there's an intersection with what the both of us are promoting. Yeah, I I think um, because... Like we talked about earlier, both of us are focusing on making sure that the marketplace and also the workplace recognize that there is a untapped area uh, made of human. (laughs) And human, there's only two things. I always say there's only two things um, matters, right? One is the planet and one is people, right? So we're in this people business. I think historically, um, when you talk about like uh, caretakers or caregivers, in many cases, pre-pandemic, you know, it's very easy for companies or enterprises to, to think it's about them. Just like in the disability world, when I talk about, you know, digital inclusion, did people just, they immediately say, oh, it's not about me, it's about them, you know, these people, right? But I think pandemic really put in front of everybody. I mean, we all see people running around trying to take care of their kids or uh, have to take you know, time off from Zooming to take care of the, the elderly or, or to go to if you negotiate with the um, senior home when they can just, 
So I think this the awareness definitely is coming in and you cannot not say you don't understand how this impact productivity or work anymore, right? So I think the seed has been planted and that I think the enlightened organization, the companies that are innovative and who really, really understand that, that we have a talent war now and that if we, if we want to retain our best talent, I always say it's, it's not just work-life integration. You really have to think about whole life, your employee's whole life. And the whole life includes kinder care and elder care. And frankly, it's usually the 40, 50, and that's when they have the most experience. And yet they, are, they have the maximum responsibility financially or um, time-wise, right? To take care of the kinder and the elder. So if you as a company do not have a policy or initiatives or program to support or enable your best talent in the most productive um, time of their career to have, you know, caretaker kind of uh, a support, I think you, you, you really will not be as competitive. And then frankly, the talent, they will be looking for that. Just like, you know, just like the trend before when people will look for, you know, I need to have, you know, on-site uh, free tennis, tennis, uh, tennis table to play games or free food. Uh, in the Silicon, early Silicon Valley. Now it's like, I need to bring my dog. You got to take care of my dog. Perhaps the next thing is I got to take care of my parents. I know in America, sometimes dogs has a little more priority. But dogs, I'm a cat person. So I always jealous of how much attention the dogs are getting. <laughs> well, yes, it really has. And I think the whole outlook on benefits and how we look at that in companies is definitely changing and escalating and elevating, I think, for the better. And I love what you said, Francis, about uh, that there's two things, planet and people. And I think COVID really has given us that global view of how that might play out in the future. So we're really looking forward to that. I know that you have some fabulous resources for our listeners, and we will have these all listed in the show notes. We've got Francis's primer for the United Nations on digital inclusion for businesses and also her TED talk. And there's a video with a Massachusetts Institute of Technology Leadership Council pushing these issues up into the C-suite and just a number of links that I think our listeners will find very interesting. I'm going to start wrapping us up to the end, Francis, and we really want to thank you for joining us today. I was so interested in all the things that you said, and I love the idea that we're accelerating our digital adoption and awareness as individuals and as companies, and also the idea that as individuals and companies, we are dependent on technology. So the idea of making sure that everyone has access to the technology, back to your authentic inclusion topic, is very, very important indeed. I very much look forward to working with you on pushing this past talking into doing, as you said. Uh, we've planted the seed, and I think many, many people and companies are recognizing this today. We certainly appreciate all the gems you've shared with us, Francis, and all that you do in this landscape of supporting inclusion in the world and onward to the wider world of caregivers. As fellow advocates in improving the caregiving ecosystem for the better, we understand the huge challenge for companies, for society, and for governments worldwide. And we know that this challenge requires long-term commitment and really lots of different inputs, such as what we've been talking about today. 
So considering the magnitude of this challenge, we're asking each of our amazing guests to share one tip for our listeners. I wonder, Francis, if you have a tip for us today. I think this is a topic that we all just have to sit down and uh, think about it related as a human, right? Again, this is not about anybody else. If you are a person that with parents, the time will come, uh, or even your, you know, uh, your aunt and uncle, you know, who may be sing- single and not married, and anybody with any kind of a filial connection with their family, this is a topic that we all will experience at some point. I think we can actually have a very robust and um, solution if we all actually come together to from the inception to see how your needs and your wants or your uh, life can be integrated into uh, preparing for the caring of uh, our elder generation. So the sooner you start, uh, frankly, less work. So let's not wait till, you know, like we are really old ourselves to figure out how to do this. I think the technology is here to be a augmenting um, a tool. We're just at the beginning of this this incredible opportunity. So uh, I hope people will re- realize that this is this is not going away. The wave is building. So might as well surf the wave and have some fun with it. Okay, I love that surf the wave. Yes, even for myself, it's been quite a struggle to stay up with technology and try to incorporate some of those into my daily work habits. So I'm happy there are people like you, Francis, who are working on this. And it gives me a lot of hope for the future that we'd be making sure that everyone, whether you're a little older or visually or hearing impaired or whatever the exclusion you're struggling with may be, that everyone has access to technology. It's really nice to know that there are people like you out there working on it, Francis, and making sure that we're incorporating these inputs into design as we go. Well, likewise, I think uh, we are just kindred spirit here and in this journey about human. I too look forward to um, more opportunity to uh, collaborate and to work together. Great, Francis. Thank you so much for joining us. The world of caregiving in the workplace is definitely a better place with you in it. Together, we've got this. We sure do. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is Debbie Howard. This is Tanya Krim. And I'm Jonathan Brody. We are the hosts of Caregiver Camps podcast. Please feel free to share our podcast and consider joining us for new perspectives in creating more productive, caregiver-friendly workplaces. Come visit us at caregivercamps.com to learn more about how we can help your company. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time at Caregiver Camps podcast.